Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Well, welcome. Well, 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 welcome to I Was There Too. This is the show where I, Matt Gorley, talk to people who were present in the great scenes of cinema history, and this one, bona fide. So bona fide that it won an Oscar at the last Academy Awards. It's The Revenant. My guest is Joshua Burge, who was just the nicest guy and had a lot to tell about The Revenant. He's a wonderful person. In fact, he's one of the nicest people to come from a film that is the bleakest film I have seen in a long time. Not a single good thing happens to a person in that film. Whew. I mean, really, give yourself a sit-down after watching this movie. But give yourself a stand-up after listening to this podcast, because it was a wonderful interview. Hold on, I'm not done talking about that film, because seriously, pretty bleak. And uh, if you know anything about it historically, which I only do after researching it for this podcast... Nothing good happens to anybody involved with this thing, and all of it was really because just a bunch of Parisian dandies wanted beaver hats. And that's a true story. Beaver hats were so popular, and it was the highest fashion in all the Eiffel Towers of Paris, that uh, there was such a high commodity on it that these guys went out into the um, North American wilderness and did some fur trapping and Indian fighting and bear nuzzling. And also liver eaten, which is the grossest thing that a human has ever done. I don't care what other videos you're into on the dark web. I used to have to eat liver occasionally in my family when I was a kid. And uh, I just I just would retch. To the point where one time I had fancy foie gras. I can never say that. Foie gras. Foie gras. Marty, how do you say foie gras? That was no help. Thank you, though. You know what I'm talking about? I had that in France, and it still made me wretch. Well, this has been a major digression. This is not a show about liver. It's a show about a movie. So let's get into it. The film, The Revenant, the year 2015. 
the role, Stubby Bill, the actor, Joshua Burge. Okay, Josh Burge, let's just start with the obvious question. How many toes did you lose to hypothermia during this shoot? Um, four, but I made them all back up. <laughs> so it, it, You can it, regenerate? Yeah, yeah. It's, oh. it's a special trade. It's actually what got me in the business. Um, no, but... Uh, I'm from Michigan, so I, I, I knew ah. the tricks of keeping your toes off the ground if you're standing still, and uh, so I, I made it out all right. Born and raised in Michigan? Uh, born, uh, moved away there f- from there for a while, then moved back when I was young. So yeah, no yeah. stranger to the cold at all? This Not at all. So was the overall process, we'll get into the whole filmmaking process, but just the cold overall, were you among the the people there maybe that was most like, get over it, no big deal? Well, they... <laughs> They were taking care of us, so they had like a safety <laughs> staff, you know, go to everybody's trailer and give them a crash course of how to take care of themselves, you know. And really, yeah, so you guys really had to look into some survival methods and stuff for this film. Yeah, as well, it was right? pretty serious. The conditions were in the middle of nowhere, and there wasn't a hospital nearby, so we had to take care of ourselves the best we could on set. And the medics were great, but they're halfway through their sort of um, their show, their display to me about how to take care of my feet, my extremities, and. My chest, and I just—it's okay, guys. I'm from Michigan, and I'm they're like, like "Someone said you were from LA." I'm like, "No, no, I'm not. I'm not." They're like, "Oh, well, okay." And then they left the trailer and shut the door. I was like, "Okay, it's gonna be fine." I love that you said medics too, because my experiences on film sets is there's a medic, but a film like this, you, how many were there? Um, three or four wow. guys, I think. Yeah. So I mentioned to you when you came in that I think I have more questions for you than I have for anybody that I've ever had on this show just because of the process, the film itself, the story, your character, everything. I'm probably going to jump around if that's okay. I don't even know how linear this will be. Yeah, that's fine. I uh, there's I was worked on it for seven months, so I've got a lot of uh, info probably to, you know, ammunition to handle these questions, I imagine. But. Jeez, yeah. Info, post-traumatic stress disorder, lovely memories. There's a little bit of that. A little bit of everything. Huh? Yeah. This, I mean, this must have been – we'll go to the broader question first – a life-changing experience, right? In some way, or at least monumental, right? It was unbelievable. I mean, it really, um, to me, it came out of nowhere. I, I was living in Michigan at the time. I had just, um, we had just had a successful film with uh, some friends of mine. We were part of a collective called Sob Noise. We just had a debut of our film Buzzard at South by Southwest and the new director's new films in New York. Uh-huh. And it wasn't too long after that that I got in a call from a casting agency out here in Los Angeles and it wasn't for the Revenant uh, it was for another film and we were just like that's weird why would they just call us you know not thinking that I just had no representation so it's just my phone number on my IMDB you know this is amazing and it was just out of nowhere you know nothing really came of that we just kind of went on with our lives and then you know a few months later forgetting about that phone call I get another phone call with a 310 area code and I'm like who is this is this a debt collection agency (laughs) (laughs) you know um so I let it go to voicemail, and then I picked it back Smart. up. Yeah, picked it back up, and they said, no, there's this film um, called The Revenant about fur trappers uh, starring Leonardo DiCaprio, directed by Alejandro. So we would like you to do a tape for this one. And how did they find you? Because of Buzzard as well? They must have – I'm not exactly 100% sure. They must have read a review or had seen the film. I'm, I'm not to this day 100% sure how they tracked me down. 
What's your first reaction when you get that voicemail? Like, is this a joke or is this kind of, yeah. yeah. But then it turns into like, maybe I'm playing the joke. Like, (laughs) you know, because things are starting to go well. And I'm like, like that kid in the neighborhood who plays the prank, but it goes out of control and the neighborhood starts tearing itself apart and it (laughs) becomes national news. And then it's an international incident and he's just at home going, you have to live the lie. Yeah. I've talked about that with other people on this show that, um, Imposter syndrome, where you you feel like, wait, people are going to catch up with this because I <laughs> yeah. I do some acting and some teaching. Even when I'm teaching, at times I feel like the administration's going to come in and shut this down. At I'm going to get caught. Yeah, yeah. But it was it was great. It was just kind of part of a process. Uh, I sent the tape in. Um, they told me I was on the short list of I don't know 150. Who knows how big it was? You know, but they said that's when they told me not to shave. That's even a question I have here too. Yeah, and just, so that was even a couple months. Uh, Prior to hearing the part, and it just kind of was the, these phone calls at once every two weeks or so saying, you're still in the running, don't shave, don't cut your hair. And and, uh, and do you still not have representation at this point? I do now. I yeah, came out but, to Los Angeles in, in uh, July. And at that point, did you? I mean, at what point did you go, I better figure this out with a rep? It wasn't until after The Revenant wrapped. Yeah, I went back home to Michigan. And, and you know, because I wasn't sure what the experience would be like yeah. if it was something I really wanted to do. And it ended up being a blast. So I was like, well, I kind of want to. Yeah. do another one that's know? such a, a i love a story where you got to do something that is an academy award-winning film yeah all without representation pretty you know? bizarre because they make you they make you believe that there's no way you can ever do it without it or something and yeah i i wasn't even in the union uh-huh. i didn't you know i didn't fur trappers union the fur trappers <laughs> union. <laughs> yeah. yeah it's the uh the ftu <laughs> um so when you finally got word how long was that process of, of phone calls and waiting? Um, June to August. Did you have to fly out to do some readings before you got the word? or Just one. There, um, I sent one tape in. That's the one that Alejandro had seen. And it was then in August that they called me and they said, we want you to come to Calgary and audition for Alejandro in person. And I said, sure. And they said... Problem is the flight leaves in two hours. Can you make it to the airport? And I said, yeah, yeah. I don't know if I convinced myself if I could, but I just grabbed a tiny bag and threw like two shirts into it and ran out the door, you know. Did you have anything that you were doing that day that you had to go, sorry, no. I'm I'm <laughs> auditioning for an Inaratu film? No, no, no. nothing. <laughs> I might have had minor dinner plans. They were easily rescheduled. Oh, that's amazing. Yeah. It, it is very last minute, this business. And I, I that's what I find I have the hardest part with, even if it's like – a job that would be so insignificant compared to this when they go like, we need you the next day. Oh, but I was planning to watch season four of house of cards tomorrow. I can't. <laughs> right. I can't right. No, yeah. I've begun to know that now. Yeah. At the time it just seems like, well, this is, this is worth jumping for. Now I realize that that's, that's just how it works. Yeah. So what was that initial reading like then? Uh, it was, it was interesting. I, they brought me down these hallways and there's, what seemed like hundreds or thousands, probably 20, 30 people going over their lines, you know. And I'm walking past them, and they take me up to uh, this door and say, have a seat. I just sit there looking at this door, and eventually the door creaks and opens. And there's Alejandro sitting there, and there's uh, nine or ten, I guess they must have been casting directors, uh-huh. around him. And uh, they said, come on in, sir. And so I walked in, and Alejandro got up. I shook his hand. He said, thanks for coming. I said, thanks for having me, you know. He said, have a seat, you know. 
So I sat down and uh, he interviewed me for a little bit, just kind of wanting to know how I got into acting, where I went to school for acting. I said, no, no, it's, it's not how it works. <laughs> I was in a rock and roll band. And then everyone just <laughs> oh, started laughing, you know, and I was like, no, it's just true. And that is kind of how it works. So I just told him my backstory about how my friend had seen me performing on stage and it was still performance. So he thought he'd put me in a couple movies and that's how I'm here. And he kind of liked that. And he said, well, now let's do some, some auditioning. He said, you understand there's a camera taping this audition, but my eyes are the camera. And he's not joking. He's not joking. And I was like, yeah, I got it. I, I had no idea what he meant. <laughs> <laughs> so did, we, yeah, did you have any I, like, idea of his reputation or his intensity going in? I just heard that he was passionate. And I could tell that from his films. That's that probably I'd a better know. way to go in, right? It was, yeah. yeah. So I had no idea about anything beyond that, you know. Um, but we started reading the lines, and then I quickly learned what he meant by my eyes at the camera. He would scroll around me. Oh, my He'd God. Get four inches from my face, and, you know, and, and it, I just never broke, you know, and just kept going. And then we did a little improv. He had me laugh, and, he, and it, was, it was cool. And he just said, uh, all right, thanks for coming. And I left, and they took me down, put me in a van, took me to the airport, and I was back home for dinner. Wow. All in a day. Um, day and a half. Day I got there, half. yeah, late on a Thursday, and then I was back home Friday night. And then how long did it take to hear that you got it? That following Monday. I was going out to eat, and uh, I got a phone call right before I ordered my food. Lost my appetite, didn't order food. <laughs> <laughs> you go, what have I done? Oh, God, <laughs> yeah. what have I done? Yes. Why, why? Um, so then how long until you went and joined the production? Um, you needed some beard growing time, right? Yeah, yeah. I, I'm not a quick uh, with the facial hair. <laughs> <laughs> it takes a while, and even then, it doesn't look that great. Oh, I think it looks fantastic. <laughs> so it was uh, it was about another month. Then I would say this happened in early August, and then I landed in Calgary beginning of September. I always wonder in these films, or like say a western like Tombstone, where they all have purportedly real facial hair, mm -hmm. how much time they can get. Like Leonardo DiCaprio's beard is pretty long. He must have – he would have known for a while. He, he had that thing film. going for yeah. a while, yeah. yeah. But yeah, I mean the Kurt Russell's mustache in Tombstone is – that's got to be. extraordinary. Yeah, although I think like he and Sam Elliott though could probably grow that in a day. I'd like to see a contest between them. <laughs> Where they just – just a time lapse. Tense and probably do it right there like it shoots out like porcupine quills. <laughs> um, all right. So then you join the production and did you have to go through the survivalist boot camp that I've read a little bit yeah, about? Yeah. Yeah. We was did that, that for like? a couple of weeks. A couple of weeks. Were you camping out and everything or just day we, trips? We didn't go that far. There were rumors of that initially that we would do that. But a lot I, of rumors about this film. Yeah. Yeah, there are. Um Surprisingly, a lot of them are true. But uh, <laughs> oh, God, I'm so glad to have you here. Uh, you know, we we learned how to uh, load and fire flintlock rifles and melt down the the balls for the the rifles. You guys melted down your own. We learned how to do that. Yeah, we never actually fired those balls. We only fired blanks. But uh -huh. um, we learned how to make the fire to melt them down with with flint and you know st stone and uh, whatever the metal. I can't remember. Obviously, it retains. <laughs> So much of this, those guys would be so proud of me. <laughs> so, I um, doubt they did either. Yeah. Uh, we threw tomahawks, shot bow and arrows, road, yeah. road horses. That was a big one. Yeah. And um, 
just kind of learned how to stalk and walk around and hide. And, you know, they said that they wanted us to camp out one night and then uh, it just got nixed right away for some reason. I really? never really heard the reason why. <laughs> Insurance oh. probably. Yeah. Um, so going into this, was there a script? Did you know exactly the arc of your character or were you, were you guys kind of finding it on the set? Like did you know that you were going to survive that first attack and go on the journey? Yes. That's good because yes. I could imagine there would be – some dread if you didn't know, wondering how long your character would right. make it. There was a lot of uncertainty, but that was not one of them. Oh, that's good. Just for the listener, so your character of Stubby Bill, which I have a question about that name as well too, yeah. um, is there from the beginning in the giant uh, attack on the trappers and then survives. What, 33 out of 40-some guys die, and your character is one of the ones that survives mm-hmm. and starts the journey back to the fort and then when everybody abandons Leonardo DiCaprio except his son and Jim Bridger, and you John go – John Fitzgerald. And John Fitzgerald, yeah. You go back with the group. So how did the name Stubby Bill come to be? Well, it's funny. You know, that, that was the character's name from the time the script was written. And I think there's – even in the, uh, the book from which the film was adapted um, – there's a character in there, a minor character named Stubby Bill, so it was pulled oh. probably from that. But people would ask me, you know, what's up with that name, Stubby Bill? Like, first week when we are doing costume and screen tests. And, it's a good conversation piece. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, well, uh, and of course, there's a lot of jokes about the male genitalia that sure. come up. Uh, that's funny. They have their place. <laughs> that's fine. <laughs> but I, I wanted something better, so I went home after that first week and the weekend. I was like, well, I kind of took my dialect from growing up you know, spending summers in western Pennsylvania and around Pittsburgh and then rural western Michigan, kind of tried to do something with that. So what's halfway in between? And I pulled out a map and looked at, like, Ohio, and there was this town called uh, Steubenville. Uh-huh. Oh. And so I was like, well, maybe this guy got to St. Louis and was in a card game and he was losing, and he comes by way of Steubenville, and maybe there's – French guys or other immigrants were there and they couldn't understand Stubbenville, Stubbenville, Stubbyville. That's amazing. Yeah. So I thought that'd be great. But by the time the second week rolled on, everyone stopped asking me where the name Stubbyville <laughs> came from. I never got to you tell that got story to- till oh, now. I'm so glad so- we got to cover that. <laughs> yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so it's great. Uh, I love that you went away from the obvious, yeah, uh, male organ joke and gave it some backstory. And yet your character is like the wise cracking, I'm going to do your yeah. wife yeah. joking guy. Yeah. Uh, I know. Well, you got to, yeah, you got to counteract that a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> So I have a question about Stubby Bill's character then. When you guys are after Leonardo has – Hugh Glass, excuse me, has suffered the bear attack and you guys decide to move on without him, there's it seems like a faction of people saying let's leave him for dead and some saying no, we can't do that. We got to take care of him. Is Stubby Bill team leave him for dead or team help him? Uh, I think he's team leave him for dead. Really? You can- I think he's team help up to a point. Yeah, <laughs> until it doesn't serve as interest. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There's a there's a scene where I think the captain's asking if anyone wants to stay, and Stubby Bill clearly does not want to stay. Oh, I was so. looking for that. That's funny. I must yeah. have missed that. All right. Um, all right. So let's get into the general production. Seven months. You didn't expect to have to change locations, right? Initially, initially, this was all going to be shot in Alberta, Canada, right? Yeah, in and around. Calgary and the Canadian Rockies in Alberta. Um, I think that there was stuff planned for BC originally as well. Okay. But the the spring came 
early, right? And there were problems all throughout the shoot. There's uh-huh. a weather pattern in that area called a Chinook, where things can get unseasonably warm, really out of nowhere. Uh-huh. So we'd be set up, and a Chinook would come in and just melt the snow or just mess with things in ways that we couldn't have ever planned for. And then also just, yeah, the spring did come early and we kept having to go higher and higher up the mountains, you know, to get these shots. But, um, eventually they had to call it and I believe they didn't end up wrapping the film till July in Argentina. That's right. Oh, so you didn't go to Argentina. I didn't go to Argentina. Yeah. I think that's right. They shot most of the end fight scenes. I believe. Yeah, Yeah. that's correct. Yeah. Yeah. And, I think that was the reason why Tom Hardy was originally going to be in Suicide Squad, but he had to drop that to continue filming. Yeah, that's, that's what I've read, yes. Yeah, man. So you were there seven months. Well. From beginning to end or something. I worked on it for seven yeah. months, from beginning of September to April. Uh, we took a break for the holidays. Mm-hmm. So I was home middle of December and then through January. But during January, I got a memo that said we need everyone to lose weight and look gaunt and and I wrote back, well, you can't mean me. I'm a pretty <laughs> slight of build guy already. Yeah. I don't know how much I can lose, you know. And they're like, no, no, we mean you. Oh. So I was like, okay, all right. So I, I had three or four weeks to do it, and I went from 140 to 121 or something like how that. How did you do it? You just didn't eat or what? Basically. Yeah, I don't recommend anyone follow this method, but I had, you know, uh, like a supplement so I didn't get – Total malnutrition, like a insure boost or whatever those yeah. things. And then if the pains got too great, I'd have a small handful of pretzels or something like that. But How was it? Was it just miserable or at that same time you're like, oh, this, is the, this is the best way to do this? You know? <laughs> I knew there were better ways. <laughs> I didn't mean like did, the best situation where <laughs> – I didn't have access to those resources. Yeah, but did you consult anybody on how to do this? I did. I had a, a friend who was a like a, a, a ballet dancer. Oh. He's like, here's what you can do. And I well, that sounds all right. I really, I really need to go quick. I've only got three weeks. i got to do something dramatic in three weeks. And, and uh, so, so that's, that's what I did. But there was a time towards the end of it where like I would get up off the couch and like fall against the wall and I'd be like, Seriously? oh, okay. So I, I wrote production. I'm just like, this is what I've done. This is how far I've gone. How far do you want me to go? <laughs> yeah, because you would be useless at some point on the set, right? <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly. So, Did it affect your job when you went back? Like the energy-wise, was it much more difficult? Well, a little bit. But after I wrote them, they wrote back saying, whoa, whoa stop, stop, stop. <laughs> you're, you're good. You're good. Stop. Go eat a sandwich. Whatever. It's fine. And so – which I kind of did. I started eating then again a little bit after that. But when we went back, the first thing they did is they put us back on horses. Oh. And um, I couldn't walk for three days. Like after – like because what I had done is basically deteriorated so much muscle. Right. And, it was been you know, sore. And, and almost atrophy really because I was just kind of sitting in the couch and letting things waste away, which was – again, the, don't do that at kids at home. It's <laughs> a bad idea. But um, – Eventually, you get back to it. You know, I started eating a little bit better. And when you got that message of like, "No, hold on, whoa, eat a sandwich," what was the first thing you ate? Do you remember? Um, well, I couldn't eat that much because your stomach had shrank, your yeah. metabolism was a little screwed up. So yeah. if I tried to eat a bunch, then uh, it would have came back up, or it wouldn't have been oh, completely unpleasant. God. So I think I probably went for soup or something like that. Yeah. You know, there's a great soup kitchen in my neighborhood that I I probably hit them up. Like a classic soup? Oh, sorry. No. A a soup restaurant. (laughs) 
Yeah, the checks hadn't come in yet. And, uh... <laughs> All right. Well, we're going to leave it right there for now. We'll take a break. We'll come back and we'll talk about Inaratu and DiCaprio and Hardy and Big Three. All right. All right. We're back. We're nourished again. We're fed. Uh, let's talk about Inaratu. So, you spoke about his intensity on the day of the audition, and he was in your face. And so, what was the general process like with him on the set? Uh, he's just so impassioned with what he's doing, and he's so um, certain about what he wants. He's, you know, he, there's something in his head that he, he he's he's going to get it, you know, one way, and that's and he he just needs to execute it, and it's that's really the best thing you can see in an artist. I really admire that trait in a director or a band leader or who, you know, somebody like you have feel like a you're very heading. specific vision, you yeah. know, to, to achieve, you right. know? Um, and that comes through and it made all of us want to, you know, help him achieve that vision, you know, and, and do all that we could. Um, and he was just a really great leader and it was a crazy adventure and a crazy <laughs> journey. And when we first, when we first met up after I did get the part and I, and he said, Joshua, thanks for coming on this journey and this adventure with me. And I was like, yeah, it's my pleasure. And he's like, it's going to be difficult. And I was like, yeah, it's fine. <laughs> and then again, we, we had a meeting and a luncheon with all of us together. He's like, we're going to see a lot of pain guys. And it's, it's going to be terrible and it's going to be, horrible and it's going to be an adventure but it's going to be worth it you know and we're all just like yeah okay sounds good we you know so anytime we were in a bad situation or it was getting difficult we were like well he didn't lie to us <laughs> i didn't you know, <laughs> you know like he didn't mislead us idea. at all <laughs> <laughs> um yeah i guess it, for a modern director i don't think anybody could more appropriately be described as infamous because you just hear all of these things about him so were there I know there are stories of the crew leaving at some point. There's rumors at least of Tom Hardy having some difficulties with him. I don't know what's true. I mean, did you guys ever, the two of you, have any difficulties you and Inaratu or basically? No, not at all. Not at all. No, I um, – and even the stuff with Tom, I don't remember – I don't recall. I, I read some story like that. Actually, I think it was published while we were on set shooting uh -huh. and it was just kind of like – Silly, like it was that's like a what joke it seems to like. us. Because they made it a was... T-shirt after, right? That's what I read. <laughs> yeah, well, it was uh... of Tom Hardy choking in a Tom they... made posters, but it's a posed. Oh, poster. I don't. Yeah, I don't know they... if I'm killing the legend or the myth, but no, it's a post... I read that. It, was, it was a posed photo, and you know the way that it looks. It looks like Alejandro struggling because it's it's like two tone silk screen, and <laughs> but he was like smiling in the photo. He's smiling yeah. and laughing, and they're just joking around. They, that's good. There was because it was such an intense shoot. Everybody, including you know. Uh, Tom and Leo and Alejandro, the, everybody was really good at bringing some levity to the set. Oh, that's nice. You know, you. so it, it, it needed that, you know, otherwise yeah. we would have all gone insane probably. But <laughs> I heard about this axe throwing contest. Were you a part of that, that Leonardo had done some axe throwing from Gangs of New York? So when th that went down on set, were you involved in that? I, I might have been around for that. I'm not sure. We did all – Get pretty good at axe throwing. I was I did not participate in the contest if it happened, but I, I, I seem to remember hearing something like that. But we we did all train and we 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 were playing games where we put like a, the ace of spades on a stump, and then the first one that could hit it, the first one that could knock it off, the first one that could chop it in half, and and 
we all got pretty solid at the hatchet throwing. Yeah, because yeah, you must have had a lot of downtime, right? Because this film was shot with natural light, so I would imagine you're only using a few hours of the day because it looks it almost looks like every single shot in the film is shot at magic hour when the sun's coming. Yeah, down. yeah. Well, it was a very every shot was done very specifically. I I remember we'd rehearse and we'd we'd be there and then um, we'd just settle for a while. And a guy would come out with like a sunglass and look at the sun and then come back and three more minutes. I'm like, they're really that specific? Yeah, about- that's incredible. It's, it's, yeah, it was fascinating. It was unbelievable. I never experienced anything like that. I didn't know that those movies were made like that, you know. And you guys shot chronologically for the most part, right? For the most part, yeah. yeah because of the weather situation, some things were switched. But for the most part, yeah, it was it was done chronologically. So let me see if I can get in your mind frame. This is your first major feature film, right? Yes. Yeah. You're in an Inaratu film. You're out in the wilderness. It's all being shot with natural light, so it's so dependent on getting the right timing and the right placement. Most of these shots are elongated one-take things. How petrified were you of personally blowing a shot thinking, like, if if I do this wrong? Horrified. <laughs> Horrified. I I feel your fear right now. That yeah, I would just be because I I think anybody that has done any acting would know that even if you're doing the most mundane thing when the cameras roll, it's difficult to stand in the right place and face the right way. It becomes strangely difficult. And then to add all of this on there, I don't know. And my the, hats off to you. Well, thanks. I mean, the the one shot that I was really a part of that was longer in length, like that, was that opening one where I'm I'm backing up with a gun. Yeah. And luckily my thing's in the beginning. So I screwed it up and we would just start it over again. That's true, yeah. So I didn't have that That's much right. pressure That's on right. me. Oh, God. So. That gave me a huge sigh of relief just now. <laughs> but, um, but, I mean, it is like a dance, the way the cameras are moving around and everybody does have to be in their spot. It is – there is so much rhythm involved. And um, when we rehearsed that scene, Alejandro had music playing, you know, that, that brought in – it was very intense music. I wish I knew the name of the composer. I don't, but – it was incredibly intense, foreboding sort of stuff, you know, that set that mood and also the rhythm. Because it was almost like ballet and the way that yeah. everybody was moving together. So once you understood that rhythm, then you weren't so rigid and, oh, I got to be here at this time. You could just kind of flow and it just it became an organism, you know. Wow. And so I'm presuming those arrows that were flying in at you are CG, right? Yeah. So how much... I mean, you must have known where an arrow's going to hit here and an arrow's going to hit here. and Yeah, it, it was just kind of, you saw them arching and then there was a building in the background that the arrow hits and it's supposed to explode into fire. And that was kind of my mark to where I led my gun and my eyes down to that mark. And then, okay. Yeah. Would you say, what would you say the ratio of rehearsal to actual take time was a lot more? Um, they, they did a lot of uh, second team stuff for rehearsals because there was so much involved with the camera work. So we would rehearse a few times just to make sure that we got the hang of it, but we'd go right into shooting. I mean, they'd call us right before magic hour before, you know, when the light was where they had it, uh-huh. they'd call the first team in. And so we'd talk to our buddies that were, that were on the second team and they would tell us what they basically had done and what, and we go, okay, we got it. And we might get one or two, but I mean, the lights fading quick. We had to go. God. 
I can't imagine the pressure. <laughs> yeah. What was your lodging or the base camp like? If you guys would get farther and farther from base camp, were you? I, I somehow picture you staying in log cabins or teepees. Or something. <laughs> no, no, there was a – well, base camp, we they had trailers. It was a massive undertaking to move all all the trailers, all of the equipment. It, how they – they basically built cities and tore them down sometimes overnight. In the middle of the night, they'd move miles away, you know. I guess kilometers, they would say. But <laughs> um, we would stay lodged, you know, in a nearest town somewhere yeah. and then we would drive to a base camp I see. but base camp and set were sometimes incredibly far apart you know yeah. so it was uh it was just it was a crazy adventure we never knew where we were going what this location was going to be there were places where only logging trucks had ever gone wow and um no camera had ever been there. that was really important i think for alejandro that no one had ever seen this before you know? i didn't know that yeah so you must have bonded incredibly with the other guys in this right yeah very much so do you we, guys talk much still yeah we do a little bit yeah 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 we're all uh mass message each other and stuff <laughs> like that. yeah sure and leonardo how was working with leonardo dicaprio it was great yeah it was great he's such a nice guy seems like it he really is he's so down to earth and i didn't know what to expect going in i was just yeah, how What's this going to be like, you know? Right. These guys going to chew my head off? What's going to happen? <laughs> Just from the minute they meet you. <laughs> Just yeah, right away. Newbie, no. <laughs> yeah. No. Fresh me. <laughs> you will learn. <laughs> but it was, it was obviously the exact opposite. Yeah. And he was the nicest, coolest guy. I mean, he was very generous. I, you know, and, and I always like to say this because it just it, – it's a mark of who he is as a guy uh, – in Canada, they celebrate Thanksgiving in October. It was mm-hmm. pr- primarily a Canadian uh, production. So when November came around for United States Thanksgiving, we worked all day. And I was – it's one of my favorite holidays. And I was kind of like, ah, you know, what am I going to do? Go get a go hunt a, a turkey, turkey sandwich <laughs> from a deli or, you know, and just go to the hotel room. and and uh, But some of the guys, uh, Lucas and Leo and – they invited us over for a Thanksgiving dinner oh. over to the house, and it was great. And it was, I just thought that, was, that meant a great deal to me at that time, you know. So yeah, there were worse things to do on a Thanksgiving. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> but it was just a very generous thing. So it was like uh, speaking about being, you know, tight. It was just it was like a, a family for that moment in time, you know, that we all had Thanksgiving together. It was yeah. great. And Tom Hardy too. He was. Was um, he more ten- intense? When he was in character, certainly. Yeah, I read that he had based his character off Tom Berenger's in Platoon, and it made sense to me because they both wear that bandana tied around their head. Yeah, I didn't read that till recently either. I had, Tom had never said that um, while we were working or anything, but when he was in character, he was very intense, you know. Um, but he, you know, he, he when he's not, he's 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 funny. Yeah, he's, he's playful. Yeah. He's great. Even when he's in character, he's playful, but. Him and I always had a a call and response that we always did. Um, and I don't know if this is FCC approved. Oh, you can say whatever you want here. <laughs> anytime. It's encouraged. <laughs> anytime Tom and I would see each other on set or we'd be passing by or in makeup room or whatever, he, he'd always, in character, fuck you, stubby bill. <laughs> and then I would respond, God damn it, Fitzgerald. And this would happen 20, 30 times a day on set. <laughs> I'm from Steubenville. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I'm trying, no one asked. <laughs> it, it, was, it was great. But one day I was, I was walking somewhere. My head 
was in a different spot and I don't know what I was thinking about, but Tom walked past me and fuck you, stubby bill. And I didn't respond. <laughs> and he came back and he kind of like tapped me and he goes, listen, mate, if you don't say goddamn it, Fitzgerald, it doesn't work. <laughs> so, so from that point on, I, I knew I, all right, I'll always say goddamn it, Fitzgerald. There has to always be a balance. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's a call and response. My success in this film depends on it. <laughs> yeah. That's why you were cast. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and did you get to go to the premiere, I presume? And I did. Enjoy all the fruits of the publicity tour and stuff like that? Yeah, I didn't do much of the publicity tour, but I came to the premiere uh, in L.A. I went to the uh, Chinese Theater, oh, and that was fun. That's got to be was amazing. great. Are you living out here now, right? I've been here since July. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, it was amazing. I mean, I was excited to finally see. It was the first time that I saw the film. Yeah. And it was in the IMAX, and I knew that the camera that they used was the first time that a film had ever been completed using this camera. And so just to have that experience was amazing. And then to see all of the fellas again, yeah. that was great. We hadn't seen each other all in one spot in I don't know how many months, you know. And then uh, and then I guess the other stuff, the red carpet stuff is just kind of weird. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> you know, I guess it just kind of – So you got your imposter syndrome going. Yeah, yeah. Like I was kind of trying to get out of it, and they are just like, no, no, you got to do it. <laughs> and I was like, okay. So I got there early before all the hoopla, and I just kind of did it. But it was it was it was fun. There's a great picture that I believe you sent me, Jen. Right, and we'll we'll meet Jen in a second. Um, of you on I think is it that yeah. red carpet with Leonardo DiCaprio? We'll put it on the website. Oh yeah, yeah, right. Yeah, that was that was right. We did the the group photo, and uh, and afterwards we were all kind of departing to get ready to go right in the theater and watch the film. And I saw Leo, and I was just like, hey man, and he's just like. Oh wow! And it's the first time you've seen me without a beard ever. Oh right, you yeah. Know? So yeah. he kind of just did a double take, and then we shook hands and just cracked a couple of jokes and went into the theater. But were you excited to shave your beard when it was all said and done? Oh, it was ecstatic. Really? We I never had trimmed it. You know, it yeah. got unruly. Yeah. Like the hair was starting to curl into my mouth. <laughs> I mean, some of my favorite foods were out of the question anymore. <laughs> it does put a damper on what you can eat. Yeah, right? it's just it got to be pretty vile. You fit you know? in at the soup kitchen though, pretty well. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I I got home and um, I was waiting to hear if it was actually wrapped, if there were going to be reshoots, and I I was kind of bugging them like every day, writing emails, and then finally about two weeks in, they said you're good to shave, and I just jumped off my couch, <laughs> ran upstairs, and just went to town. Like I didn't even think about like having fun with it, yeah, and trying to. Do different styles, right. you know, and, and you I just, just it took off. it all off. Yeah. <laughs> Did you ever have to have any of the makeup on your beard that makes it look like it's all frozen and everything? Yeah, what there you, was. What they, how do they do that? It's uh, just a weird kind of like a some sort of gel that um, once it gets in there, like it doesn't harden too much, so it still stays, uh, you know, translucent, I guess. Uh -huh. And then they they do a little spritz. It makes it kind of look wet as well. Yeah. And it's just kind of dabbed and put on, I, I don't know, the method. <laughs> <laughs> the, the makeup department's great. I, I I couldn't tell you how they did their job. It's amazing. It's amazing what they had to do. Yeah. So then what was your final feeling when you sat down and you're at the Man Chinese Theater and you just watched the movie? And was it like you imagined? What What was your reaction? It was just so beautiful. Yeah. I just remember just, wow. You know, and it, it was it was so fun. And then it got to be nostalgic in a oh, way. Sure, like, oh, yeah. I remember that day. 
you know, and things it's like, like that. It's like the most expensive and beautiful yearbook you could ever get for a time of your life. That, yeah, probably that's a good way to put it because yeah. it was like a school year almost, you know. know. What a special experience. That's amazing. Yeah, it was, it was incredible. And what was your response to the famous bear scene? Because you, you guys come in at the end in the aftermath of that, but presumably you weren't around when they were shooting that, right? So, no, I wasn't. Yeah, I, um, I think we worked that day, but um, we weren't involved, obviously, on set anywhere while they were shooting that. But, um, I mean, it was it was crazy. I had seen in the trailers and stuff how the bear looked. Yeah. And I was like, oh, they, they did pretty good, you know. Yeah. And, and so it kind of went on longer than I thought it was going to, which uh, yeah. I love. Yeah, me too. I, I love long takes. And I love when things extend for so long. Like if, if it had just come and ripped him apart and left or he killed it or whatever, then I kind of – I guess I shouldn't have expected that, but, but it, it feels just like that's how it par for go, the course, kind of, yeah, right? You yeah. know, it's but, not a horror movie; it's more of a right. <laughs> nature or yeah. observation. But I should have known Alejandro and Shiva would obviously do it right. Yeah. Know? Well, uh, we're also here with your friend Jen Fodor. Is that how you say your last name? Fodor. Fodor, who was so nice in setting this interview up, and I have to say again, this is. It, Probably more than half the cases now, listeners are connecting me with wonderful guests like this. So, Jen, how are you? Thank you so much for doing this. Yeah, no, this, I, yeah, one of my friends told me about the podcast, and I was like, we were all hanging out at a bar one night, and I was like, Joshua, I'm gonna, I'm just gonna email them and see, see what happens. (laughs) Go for it. Here we are. Yeah. Yeah. And so, um, what are you up to now, Josh? Tell us all about what uh, you're working on and where people can find you. Um, well, I, sh- I shot a movie last fall that's coming out sometime this year, 20th Century Women. With, uh, it was directed by Mike Mills. It was a fun bit. Got to work with some great people on that one. Um, Greta Gerwig and oh. Ali Shawkat. And it was wow. it was a really fun time. Um, just a blast. Uh, but I started getting into voiceover work, oddly enough. I can understand why. Yeah. Yeah, you have a great voice. I never saw it coming. Really? Yeah. What kind of voiceover work are you doing? Um, I actually went in and did some work on American Dad. Oh, great. Which was – it was a blast. I went in and did an audition uh, for another feature film and um, a show for the Cartoon Network, I believe. And I ended up doing about 10 voices or so. And they said, yeah, we we like a lot of them. We're going to send them to the producers and see what happens. And the next day they said, by the way, can you come in and work on American Dad tomorrow? Jeez. <laughs> Brilliant. That's not Again, easy to break into. Things work fast, you know? Yeah. For you, <laughs> especially. Yeah. We're going to need you on a plane for American Dad in two hours, so come down. <laughs> this is just fantastic. I feel like for whatever reason, this is why this – like you're the case why this podcast exists. Your local boy makes good. You've done had nothing but success, and congratulations on that. Well, That's thank so you. It's, it's been extraordinary, you know? I, I It's true that I never set out to – to achieve all of this, really, you know, I, yeah. I set out to be a filmmaker and just make films with my buddies, and all this has happened, and I don't take it for granted mm-hmm. at all. So that's why I'm out here trying to you know, really appreciate it, and I, I just really value it. It's been an incredible, <laughs> incredible ride so far. Well, so. you can tell that. I mean, just sitting here with you, I can tell that, and I, I wish this stuff would happen to always people like that. So fantastic, yeah. 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 Congratulations. It, yeah, thanks for coming in, and oh, thank thanks you for having me. Yeah, great. Well, what a lovely bunch of friends. Honestly, Joshua was 
one of the nicest guests I've had, and he seems to appreciate all that's happened to him so much that it's just uh, really refreshing. Although all the guests I have on here are very nice, but uh, he was especially uh, a pleasant interview. And now, based on the masterpiece computer graphics work of the bear, never mind those noises in the back, I'm working on my office and so there's no door on it so all household activities are now part of this podcast you're likely to hear a cat at some point but what i was saying was the masterfully done computer graphics of the bear in the revenant were so amazing that i I somehow wasn't even really questioning it the entire time but what is happening out there is someone doing a giant's dishes but the bear was so convincing in this film and essentially the animators were acting for the bear and it's no surprise to see CG in a blockbuster action spectacular, but what about CG acting? It's time for another exciting installment of I Was There at Two. So it's no big deal to see a national monument blown up in a computer graphics extravaganza, but how much acting has there been with computer graphics? Probably a lot, because a lot of it probably gets biased and we don't even realize it. I remember, you know, there's things like uh, digital face replacement in stunt work so that you can have a stunt person do the actual stunt but put the face of the actor on. Plus, after Paul Walker passed away in Furious 7, they used his brother, I believe, and put his face on it whenever they could. I don't know. It gets very Frankensteiny, and really we should be questioning our ethics. This is essentially cloning. But what's worse, what's more egregious a sin than that is actual emotive acting done after the fact with computer graphics. I'm going to give you my top three in order from less worst to first. Number three, Anakin Skywalker's eyeballs. Apparently in The Phantom Menace, George Lucas wanted the kid looking one way and he was looking the other way. So they digitally changed his eyes to look the right way which isn't really that big a deal because they probably went for what was the best acting take. It just had a technical mistake with it. So in the sense, he's still doing the acting and they're just using the computer graphics to fix the eyeline. That one I can let slide. To be honest, I just needed a third. There's probably going to be a lot more of these. Why not send them in? On a tweet, Cloud. The second is one that I just saw which is in the Hulu miniseries 112263 starring James Franco. He's sitting on a park bench talking to the secretary of the school where he's working, and I won't spoil anything for you, but she delivers some bad news and uh, then has to follow up with the line, don't cry or don't shed a tear or something like that. And James Franco, right before that, sheds what is so clearly a digital tear, Um, which is confusing because if I'm not mistaken, he tears up earlier in the production when he's talking to Sadie, the character that he's in love with. And uh, that seemed very convincing. Maybe that was just better CG or Franco was turning on the waterworks and using his acting talent. But you can't fault someone for not being able to put on the tears in a scene, but you sort of can fault a production for putting digital tears in. It's so obvious when you watch it. I recommend it. I wish I could tell you which episode it is, but I don't have the strength to get out of this chair and look that up right now. And finally, number one, and this is one of my favorite things of all time. I tried to find a video of this online, but I can't. So if anybody can rip this and put it up, I will send it back out. But at the end of the movie, the score with Robert De Niro and Edward Norton and the one and only Marlon Brando, 
not to spoil anything, I'll try to keep it vague, but a heist happens and Brando is sort of the um, patron of this whole thing. And in the end, he, the very last shot of the film, he's watching television and he sees that the heist was successful and his person he was rooting for in the game, Robert De Niro, pulled it off and all is well. And all they needed to do was get a shot of Marlon Brando watching TV, seeing this and reacting with a smile. That's the whole crux of the end of this film. And apparently Brando was so troublesome during the making of that film, which was directed by Frank Oz, whom he called Miss Piggy as well. (laughs) What a dick. Uh, would not smile. He refused to smile for the end of the film. And so they do a digital smile replacement on Brando. And I have to say, when I watched it, I could tell there was something odd about it, but it wasn't until I read up on it that I realized what was so strange about it. So uh, it's worth watching that movie for that alone. Also for the other scenes Brando is in, because he's living in a different stratosphere. Because man how Brando went from the greatest living American actor to needing a digital smile. That should humble us all. And I think I'll leave you with that thought here on. I was there a day too. Well, that's it for this two weeks episode, this fortnight's show. As ever, if you have a guest that you can connect me with that would be perfect for this show, please email me at IWasThereToPod at gmail.com. That's really the only way to ensure it will get to my eyes. But you can follow me on Twitter, at Matt Gorley, Instagram, and Letterboxd, where I list the films that are upcoming for this show, as well as some of those secret theme songs there at the top. If you enjoy this podcast, you might enjoy some of my other joints, like uh, Super Ego, which just put out a commentary for the film Alien with H.R. Giger, John Hurt, and Ridley Scott. It's available on Howl.fm. You can get a free month just by using the promo code SUPEREGO. And my other podcast, Pistol Shrimps Radio, where Mark McConville and I know nothing about basketball but call the games like sportscasters anyway, is now on the Earwolf Network. Check it out. Have a great two weeks, and may your world be filled with digital smiles. Ain't that right, dumb kitty? (laughs) Good night, even if it's day. This has been an Earwolf production. Executive produced by Scott Ackerman, Adam Sachs, and Chris Bannon. For more information and content, visit Earwolf.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.